to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the optometry world across Canada and the U.S. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Yvonne Carr. I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. Hi, I'm Dr. Ravinder Rindawa. And I'm Dr. Alex Kuhn. Um, today, we're talking about pale optic nerves and what we can do to figure out why it's happening. But before we get started, if everyone could take a look at these scary backgrounds. I don't think mine's that scary. But. <laughs> Here's the cutest. <laughs> Only listening to the audio version of this episode, Amrit has three ghost dogs as her virtual, <laughs> virtual background. <laughs> They're so cute. I'm going to help myself. Um, but yeah, we have virtual Halloween backgrounds going on for our Halloween themed episode today. Alex's background is supposed to be a dancing pumpkin man, but we can't about to stab her instead. (laughs) (laughs) And before we started this episode, we all agreed that Rabs is the scariest because Mm -hmm. she's showing Samara from the ring, which is bringing back a lot of bad childhood memories right now for some of us. But yeah, let's get started. Let's talk about optic nerve pallor. Deepon, take it away. I shall. Thanks. Thanks for throwing it over. <laughs> take it away. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get started. So it's important to note that optic nerve pallor or optic atrophy is not just a disease, but a clinical sign. So the pallor of the optic disc results from irreversible damage to the fibers of the anterior visual pathway. The causes of optic optic atrophy are numerous, some of which may be life or sight threatening. Um, A detailed clinical evaluation is essential in the differential diagnosis and management of optic atrophy. So when we initially observe something that's a little off about the optic nerve, the first condition that we tend to think about is what? Glaucoma. It's really important to carefully differentiate glaucomatous nerves from eutrophic nerves and consider other causes of your patient's optic disc pallor to determine the best management strategy. So remember that glaucoma presents with the enlargement of the optic disc cup that eventually irreversibly damages the nerve fibers of the neural retinal rim. In this chronic disease, there typically is an absence of power. The rim tissue tends to remain well perfused, even though focal damage such as notching occurs to the neural, neural retinal rim. So Occasionally, patients may present with um, glaucomatous type optic nerves and additionally exhibit pallor, which means that there is the presence of another condition entirely in addition to glaucoma. And it's our job as as the clinician to investigate what's going on. I want to emphasize what Deepon just mentioned, which is the whole reason why we're doing this episode, that glaucoma does not cause nerve pallor. I I still remember like the moment when I was in clinic one day at school where one attending just really like beat that into my brain. 
because I said that the nerve looks like there's power. <laughs> yeah, literally just like <laughs> punching me in the face. Like there's no power. <laughs> <laughs> and like, to be honest, I honestly did not know why. Um, so I definitely feel like this episode that we have with all the info that we're going to talk about is really going to help understand why your patient has nerve pallor for all you students out there still getting confused. Hopefully this is really going to help. Or even us optometrists who still get confused. Yes. Yeah, I think like optic nerve pallor is one of those things where you see it. If you see it, you're like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh man! I guess it was just work. it was just a lighting adjustment. <laughs> It'll just go yeah. away if I dim the slit lamp down. <laughs> this whole thing. But it's, true. it's like now you got to think about all these different things, and we're, mm-hmm. this episode should really help you break down what exactly you need to do and the steps you need to take. So, mm-hmm. so how can we find out if it's true optic disc pallor? It is necessary to differentiate true disc pallor from mimics. For example, after cataract extraction due to loss of light reducing properties provided by natural lens, the disc can appear pale, but there is no nerve dysfunction. This is known as pseudopallor due to cataract extraction and can be misleading. Also, identifying optic disc pallor can sometimes be difficult when the condition is subtle or there are media and cataracts causing the view to become difficult to assess. If the case is unilateral, it definitely helps to photograph each disc and compare them side by side. When doing so, optic disc pallor in one eye can be more easily identified when it is subtle. So what diagnostic tests should we keep in mind when monitoring, when monitoring visual functions? I don't know, Rav. Tell us. <laughs> all right. Me and the tell ring us. girl will tell you all about it. <laughs> all right. So when trying to determine if there is true optic nerve pallor, it is imperative to look for associated optic nerve dysfunction. Associations that would indicate true optic atrophy would include VA reduction, color vision deficiencies. Remember, with color vision, you don't want to use the Ashira. You want to use the um, the HRR HRR because Wait, that's why? acquired. HRR is acquired color deficiencies, whereas the Ishiera is congenital. Oh, um, I did not remember that. That's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that from uh, Dr. Ronnie's um, one for oh, Instagram. Dr. Ronnie Bonick. Yeah, one of oh. her Instagram posts. Nice. Man, I love her info. Yeah. So helpful with Wait, neuro ophthalmology. Is she hard yeah. actually for congenital? Yes. So it only identifies the red-green deficiencies. Right. Oh, so what? that's congenital, oh, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. HRR is acquired. Mm-hmm. Can right. identify acquired. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to it. Um, you want to look for a relative afferent pupillary defect uh, when unilateral or asymmetric. Um, you want to check your retinal nerve fiber layer damage and any visual field loss. So just as a reminder, if you don't see any of the um, conditions that Rav mentioned, then just remember it's not true optic atrophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And adding on to what Rav was mentioning, so um, definitely checking for the RAPD um, with pupils. And then with color vision testing, 
um, all of you are probably familiar with the red cap desaturation test. So I had a lot of uh, questions about this test, especially when I was in uh, the community health clinic, because a lot of people seem to have different, different opinions on the efficacy of this test. So I did try to look up different articles and different resources that talk more about the red cap um, color test. And so the reason why people choose to use a red cap is because red color perception is usually lost first in optic nerve disease. And so that's why we're using red compared to any other color. And uh, based on the research that I found, it does suggest that um, the red cap test is effective when there is an asymmetry in optic nerve function. So it suggests that there is an asymmetry in optic nerve function, often even when there is an absence of an RAPD, media opacities, or macular pathology. I feel like some people could use it as a faster method to just quickly assess if there is damage to the optic nerve. But um, like Rav mentioned, the HRR is more accurate and you would do that monocular with each eye. So I personally don't rely on the red cap as much. I have a question about that. So if you did the red cap desaturation test and if the patient was like, yeah, that one, you know, my one eye versus the other, it's a little bit like this one's a little bit more brighter than the other. Mm -hmm. How would you, would that interpret like, that? Yeah. Like because if it was like, yeah, yeah I kind of rely on 50%, like what Alex said. Yeah, okay. I do like this, um, I, whichever eye is brighter, I'm like, this is 100%. And yeah. then I switch to the other. What does this in the percentage wise look like? Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's even a little bit more subjective. Yeah. But um, anyone else who uses red cap or knows more about it, comment on this on Instagram or DM us and give us more information. I'd like to learn a little bit more about it and see how I can actually interpret this test more accurately. Also oh. keep in mind yeah. if one of your patient has like one eye that has a cataract surgery done and where the other one mm -hmm. has like a dense cataract, definitely the one with a dense cataract is not going to see it as bright. So a helpful yes. reminder. <laughs> That's very true. Rav's like, true. Rav's like reminiscing of lessons learned. <laughs> I know, right, man? So Dr. Rachel Rubel um, on her Instagram account at doctor I got this she actually does a really great demonstration of um how to exactly perform the the red cap test mm, so okay. if you guys are wondering like oh how like what's the wording I should use how do we exactly do this just head over to her Instagram account she has a video showing um how to exactly do it yeah nice. for visual field testing um, always consider a wider field test to see the full extent of any visual field defect. So in that case, a 30-2 uh, would be more appropriate, um, you know, if, if you have that option available. The visual field defects that often come from optic atrophy will typically respect the horizontal midline, or they can be just generally diffuse, like 360. Um, so pay attention to the patterns. And separate those patterns from typical glaucomatous visual field defects. During school, my attending told me that if you have the option of doing a kinetic visual field, that's best than um, just doing a, than a static visual field. Yeah. 
checking for, so Rav mentioned checking for retinal nerve fiber layer damage. So definitely if you have an OCT, take an OCT of the optic nerve head and also the ganglion cell layer and try to confirm any areas of thinning that correlate with the pallor appearance. Um, I also would recommend fundus photography the day that you notice the pallor. Um, you may want to pay attention to any attenuated uh, blood vessels around the optic disc in that area of pallor, and then um, take those photos you know, over time to monitor for any changes. And then because we did mention that optic nerve pallor is not associated with glaucoma, however, you can have both present at the same time. Of course, we recommend checking the patient's IOPs if they have optic nerve pallor to make sure that there is no associated risk factor for glaucomatous damage too. So um, as Deepan was mentioning earlier about glaucoma and disc pallor, so also do keep in mind about your acute angle closure. So if a patient has an acute angle closure, they will have this optic disc pallor. Um, mm -hmm. And the resulting can be uh, primary angle closure glaucoma, which is a secondary condition. So a patient can have a pale disc because of that. But again, initially they had that pallor because it was that, an acute traumatic uh, an acute event. Traumatic event. That makes and sense. It, and it led to secondary glaucoma. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why you may be able to see both presentable at the, at the same, same time. time. Yeah. Yeah. So when you finally have made the decision that you are observing true optic nerve pallor because of optic nerve dysfunction in your patient, now you can start answering the question, why do they even have it? So before we go over the specific questions to ask your patients, we need to know what causes optic atrophy in the first place. Um, the first condition we'll talk about is inflammation or infectious disease. The initial appearance may be one of a swollen disc due to papillitis, which over the course of a few months becomes atrophied. Visual loss may be associated with pain on eye movements. And the most common type is due to multiple sclerosis, which occurs in people between the ages of 20 to 40 years old. Um, they come in complaining of unilateral blurring with pain. Um, on eye movements. And then other causes include neuromyelitis, ooh, neuromyelitis optica. Me and Rav know about that. Woo I know. We Why wrote our um, third year uh, oh, tape report on I like, NMO. I was like, so Devic mad? Disease. Like, why the hell do you guys know about that? <laughs> <laughs> Are you um, jealous? Oh. <laughs> we smarter than you. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I was like, Devic's disease. Where did I hear that from? I don't even remember. Okay, anyways, other causes include <laughs> Devic's disease, which is uh, severe and rare and presents acutely as bilateral optic neuritis with paralysis due to a transverse myelitis. Um, infectious diseases include STDs, uh, TB, and syphilis as well. So there's also an ischemic process due to compromised blood supply of the optic nerve that usually presents as a sudden loss of vision. The optic disc pallor may be diffuse or segmental. These include BRAO, CRAO, 
very important to think about GCA to confirm diagnosis with temporal artery biopsy. But who does that nowadays? Let's be honest. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Oh, well, not in my chair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not giving you that gold standard. We're giving you the silver treatment here, okay? We ain't doing no gold treatment here. Anterior ischemic optic neuropathy presents mm-hmm. as one or more episodes of acute painless vision loss due to vessel occlusion at the optic nerve head. Yes. Yeah. I think GCA and ischemic optic neuropathy, I feel like I haven't seen that in a patient forever. Like I think I had one patient that had potential symptoms of that, maybe at ICO. You've mm-hmm. never seen it? Nope. No GCA, no. Oh yeah, me neither. I've never seen it before in any of my rotations or so far. Yeah, I definitely asked the question, but I've never Mm -hmm. seen GCA. Mm -hmm. Like I've asked gone through like the questions. My my patients have always been like a maybe on the questions, and we're always sitting there like, well, what do I do with this maybe scalp tenderness? I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they just need to wash their hair. I don't know. (laughs) We're just oily men. (laughs) Here's some shampoo. (laughs) Another cause for optic atrophy or nerve pallor could be a compressive lesion, of course, which can present with unilateral or bilateral gradual progressive vision loss. So the lesions could occur around the orbital apex, superior orbital fissure, or cavernous, cavernous sinus. And these lesions can also present with limited EOM movements um, because often you'll get the cranial nerves involved. So cranial nerves three, four, and six. Uh, Compressions of the optic nerve can be caused by meningiomas, orbital tumors, even thyroid eye disease, or pituitary adenomas and carotid aneurysms. Uh, Papilledema is also considered a compressive optic neuropathy. So like what Deepon mentioned, if you do have optic disc swelling from raised intracranial pressure, um, once that swelling starts to heal or um, gradually reduce, then the nerve will start to become more pale over time. So it's always good to know if they've had the papilledema previously. Other symptoms that you might want to look for if the patient does have intracranial pressure or if you're suspecting that is asking about headaches, seizures, nausea, vomiting, and with any other compressive lesion, ask for other neurological signs. When you're doing visual field tests on these patients that may have compressive lesions, um, try to look for any central or secocentral field defect with an APD present or a bitemporal hemianopia if you're suspecting an optic chiasmal defect. And if you were following us on Instagram, you would have seen that case of uh, pituitary adenoma that we presented. Which is really cool. I like that one, Rav. I I learned from that one. I I learned myself too. I was impressed. So um, our fourth category is toxicity or nutritional deficiency, uh, which a lot of people, which is probably one of the one of the main ones you will probably come across in your career. Um, where me and Deepon have actually came across this um, during our optometry or ICO um, days. Um, so this presents with bilateral painless symmetric vision loss, which is gradual and progressive. 
So this typically affects the papular macular bundle, causing a temporal pallor of the optic disc. So remember, the papular macular bundle, it inserts into the temporal optic disc. Mm -hmm. So the visual field will show a central field defect. And you also want to rule out any toxicity for medications such as ethambutol, isoniazid, and sildenafil. And um, sometimes patients' occupations may also expose him or her to toxic substances such as uh, lead in paints, antifreeze agents, or cyanide from improper processing. Um, deficiency of vitamin B12, B1, or folate can also result in optic atrophy and may be seen in persons who are heavy cigarette smokers, consume alcohol, and have a poor diet. Yeah. Um, also, accidental ingestion of methanol or methyl alcohol may be fatal and may cause rapid and severe vision loss. You know, the one that you just mentioned that I never thought about as much was the patient's occupation. Yeah. That's definitely um, not a question that I ask to a lot of my patients. So I'm actually going to try to remember that now. So sometimes we do have patients who are immigrants, right? And mm-hmm. their their work or so that the hazards and the safety uh, is like not women? the same. Oh. Huh? Yeah, yeah no, go like ahead, women's. Yeah, yeah, so it's not the same protocol as in Canada or as in the States. Mm-hmm. There are a little bit more laid back. Um, so... Or don't yeah. have them. Or don't have yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. So another cause could be, of course, trauma. Trauma to the optic nerve may result from indirect injuries like blunt trauma to the head or from direct injuries from bony fragments or bullets Whoa. or from compression Ouch. by a hematoma within the orbit or optic nerve sheath. Mm-hmm. Another cause could be hereditary conditions, something uh, something that we probably don't think about a lot either, but optic atrophy in children may be due to genetic factors like Lieber's hereditary optic atrophy, Mm -hmm. but it might also signify that something is present on the nerve or there is raised intracranial pressure from a brain tumor, Mm -hmm. which may be benign or malignant. Yep. None of you guys watch This Is Us, right? No, it's too emotionally draining. Oh yeah, <laughs> but they have. So a, I watch their their baby has yes. uh, Liebers, oh. right? No, no, no. Oh my uh, god, so Amrit! No, I don't watch it, but the baby has two ears, right? <laughs> so no, one I, of the I, character yeah, sorry, continue. is uh, blind. It's a baby. It's blind and has uh, oh. retinopathy RP. of a RP, ROP. ROP. Yeah, retinopathy of a whose baby is it? Premature. Yeah, who's baby? Oh, because they're premature. I thought it was RP. No, okay. R-O-P. R-O-P. Whose baby is it? Which character? Uh, the sister? Kate. It's Kate's Kate. son. Yeah, it's your Kate. And then she named him Jack. Yeah. Aww. And they go to this like low vision uh, or blindness retreat and it's kind of cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Check out This Is Us, y'all. This Is Us, man. <laughs> so we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make you cry and make you learn at the same time. Great, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Based on all of the causes of optic neuropathy that we just went over that cause atrophy, um, this shows that your patient history is crucial. So 
you know, even if um, you didn't get a chance to ask these questions in the beginning, it is a good idea to have a sort of screening questionnaire or a checklist with you once you do identify nerve pallor in your patient, because then you can make sure that you ask them all of these questions to rule out any of the causes. Um, so based on the causes we just mentioned, you want to ask about specific experiences in their life, such as did they have a premature birth, uh, any severe head trauma in the past, any treatment for previous infections that they've had before, or any STDs? Have they had any long-term drug or alcohol use and abuse, or any consumption of methanol even in the past, even in their younger years? Um, malnourishment. I learned from my attending that asking, you know, have you been malnourished as a child isn't really the best way to ask someone these questions. So you can ask them more about their diet in general. You know, as a child, were you eating a lot of fruits and vegetables or did you lack access to these things? Um, so it might get you a better idea as to what specifically they were not obtaining in their diet. Um, ask about GCA-like symptoms, of course, and neurological symptoms. So do you have numbness, tingling in your arms and legs? Um, any history of MS or other MS-like symptoms, any asymmetry between the sensation in your limbs, and of course, ask for their medication list again. So are they taking any of the toxic medications that we just mentioned, um, any medications for TB, malaria treatment, and what's their occupation? Are they working with chemicals? Um, you know, are they exposed to that on a daily basis or even what was their previous occupation? So yeah, those are um, a lot of good things you can add to your checklist and make sure you can narrow it down as to where the pallor might have come from. So let's say you asked all these questions and you have a good idea as to you know where this nerve pallor might have come from. You definitely need to still consider testing so that you can confirm your suspicion and that'll help you to figure out what you need to do to actually manage the condition because you can't just leave it the way it is. You definitely wanna try your best to do something about it. So you should definitely consider blood workup based on your patient's answers to those questions and in order to rule out any inflammation, infectious disease, vitamin deficiencies, or anemia. Um, Dr. Ronnie Bonick on her Instagram stories shared a case, I think a few days ago with a patient who had bilateral optic nerve pallor she did an amazing review of, you know, the things that she always checks in the patient's blood work. So I want to share a bit of that and the other research that we found online. Um, I'd recommend a comprehensive metabolic panel, CBC with differentials, ESR, CRP, vitamin B12, RBC folate, ANA, ACE, ANCA, and then, um, always obtaining an MRI of the brain and orbits with and without contrast, um, especially if they are experiencing neurological symptoms because you need to rule out any mass or demyelination. So definitely consider doing all those things to make sure you really find the root cause of the pallor. Um, and then based on the findings, you wanna monitor these conditions and give the patient any appropriate treatment that's needed to hopefully monitor for any improvements in their visual fields and acuities. Um, I was just looking at 
the blood workup that you were just talking about. And I mm-hmm. couldn't remember what ANA, ACE, or ANCA was for. And they're testing for autoimmune diseases. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I was like, what are these? I remember check for ANA <laughs> because <laughs> ANA and rheumatoid factor kind of went hand in hand, yeah. right? Something. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's if how you're... I kind of remembered the autoimmune conditions. I think if you're positive for both, you have rheumatoid arthritis, I want to say. Yeah, okay. but I think if you were positive for just one, then it was like... like Inconclusive? Your... Inconclusive. So guys, remember when optic nerve pallor is identified, an, expl- an explanation or underlying cause of optic nerve pallor must be determined. So the term pallor should never be used nonchalantly. Never document that you see or suspect disc pallor on a patient's chart unless an investigation into the cause is um, going to be done. So if you don't have an explanation for disc pallor, you must obtain proper neuroimaging. If you fail to do that or fail to investigate what you recorded, um, it's like writing on a patient's chart. I think the patient may have a brain tumor, but I'm just going to choose not to do anything about it and just move on to my next patient. All right. So let's not yeah, do we that. We don't want to be that doctor. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's not do that. And then follow the steps that we just talked about and you'll be on the right path towards making the correct decision. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And again, I think um, just for um, just for curiosity's sake, if anyone has more information about nerve pallor, I think we would all love to know a lot more about it. So feel free to add more um, info into the comments on our IGTV or comments on our podcast page on our website and just definitely share as much information as you guys can so that we can all learn to be better clinicians. Yeah, share your cases with us. We'd love to hear about what you guys experienced out there. And look forward to one of our future episodes because we're going to hopefully start sharing um, more cases of our own. A lot of our, um, a lot of the people on our Instagram have mentioned that they want more cases. Like they love the one that Rav did on our stories. Hopefully we can put together a few more interesting ones for you guys too. Thanks everyone for listening to Four Eyes. Make sure to subscribe and check us out on Instagram at Four Eyes Optum for more eye-related content. Look out for new episodes every Wednesday. Until then, stay tuned. And happy Halloween. Happy Bye. Halloween! <laughs> <laughs>